The Cinema Limbo podcast is part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Cinema Limbo and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. resilience of the human spirit is a well-known phenomenon, and it is extraordinary what a man can endure, but how eventually he will begin to push back, and when that day comes, those who drove him to such measures will wish they had chosen wiser action. My name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and toaster, and you are entering Cinema Limbo, the way station for underappreciated films. Tonight's presentation is the 2011 black comedy action thriller Hobo with a Shotgun, Co-written and directed by Jason Eisner and starring Rutger Hauer, Molly Dunsworth and Brian Downey. My guest is Chris Arnsby, and you join us in one of those murder arcades for which Nova Scotia is so famed. Hi Chris. Hello. What can you tell me about Rutger Hauer? Well, he was in uh, the hit show. Um, he's quite a well and long established actor um not a lot now i come to think of it now i come to try to summarize his career a bit more of a cult actor than a mainstream one would be my initial kind of very inaccurate thumbnail sketch well having started out in um his native netherlands in the late 60s and early 70s he starred in uh Paul Verhoeven's breakthrough film Turkish Delight in 1973, which was Oscar-nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. And then later in the decade, he was able to transition to working in the US. Um, His big breakthrough was in Blade Runner, of course. Oh, yes, of course. (laughs) Um, And he he starred in a, a string of successful films during the 80s, The Ostman Weekend, uh, for Sam Peckinpah, um, Nicholas Rogue's Eureka, uh, Richard Donner's Lady Hawk. Uh, he reteamed with Paul Verhoeven on Flesh and Blood. Uh, he was an iconic villain in The Hitcher. He won mm. a Golden Globe for the TV movie Escape from Sobibor. Uh, he was even uh, originally cast as the lead in Robocop, but um, it was felt that uh, his physical size wasn't appropriate for playing the character yeah that would have been interesting i can't Uh, really imagine anyone except peter weller playing it now to be honest (laughs) that's a shame given how many other actors have now played that part well yes yeah um into the 90s he started appearing in more lower budget films less prestigious productions uh the original film of buffy the vampire slayer for example um, oh. That whole st- that whole string of Guinness commercials, mm. where he he played on his um, inscrutable screen image. Uh, he started doing more TV, uh, like TV movies like Fatherland or Hostile Waters, uh, guest roles in Smallville and Alias, and then he had that renaissance in the two thousands when um, many of the directors who'd uh, grown up with his earlier work 
were now becoming filmmakers. So he was cast by George Clooney in Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, by Christopher Nolan oh. in Batman Begins, uh, by Robert Rodriguez in Sin City. And he found himself having this Indian summer of a career, which eventually led to his casting in the lead role of Hobo with a Shotgun. Hmm. <laughs> Um, that film came from um, Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez indirectly for their Grindhouse project where both of them made a low budget style 90 minute movie to be sandwiched with a bunch of trailers for non-existent films made by guest directors and released as a three and a quarter hour spectacle um, to recreate the the grindhouse experience of decades past hmm. and it flopped um it was released as a, as a three and a quarter hour presentation in the u.s it did quite poorly to mm. the extent that the two films were released independently everywhere else um rodriguez yeah. um planet terror and tarantino's death proof but some of the individual trailers i think are more interesting we have uh, rob zombie's Werewolf Women of the SS featuring Nicolas Cage as Fu Manchu. Mm. Um, you have uh, an Edgar Wright short, for a, a trailer for a film called Don't, which was filmed with British actors, but deliberately avoids having any spoken dialogue as if oh. they're trying to pretend it's an American movie. Hmm. So it has the likes of... Um, Nick Frost and Matthew McFadden in this spoof of a giallo movie, but just trimmed down to three minutes. There was a competition launched where people could submit trailers of their own, potentially for inclusion. And this was won by director Jason Eisner, who submitted a trailer he shot called Hobo with a Shotgun, filmed in Halifax and Dartmouth in Nova Scotia. And it was so, made such an impact that this trailer was part of the Canadian release of Grindhouse, and it played across the country. Eisner was a budding filmmaker working with his friends. They'd made a few um, uh, short works before. They'd even... uh, uh, He'd made a a short in 2008 called Treevenge, which was about (laughs) um, the world's Christmas trees rising up against humanity for their mutilation and humiliation each year. Um, And Hobo with a Shotgun attracted the interest of a Canadian producer who offered to fund a feature-length version. And the only person that Eisner wanted to play the lead role was Rutger Hauer. Mm. And fortunately, Rutger Hauer is very keen to foster new talent and work with new filmmakers. So he read the script and found it kind of strange and intriguing and met with Eisner and decided to do it. So now he's making his feature debut based on something that won a competition and with one of his idols from childhood. And as a result, you have the greatest exploitation film ever made in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Almost entirely local actors apart from Rutger Hauer as well. Okay, yeah, no, it's a it's a terrific story, isn't it? What did you think of the film? 
Uh, you see, this is the problem. Having just said what well, that's a lovely story of somebody sort of progressing into being a filmmaker, I'm now going to have to say I didn't really like it very much. I thought it was a bit rubbish. Oh. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I could see, I can kind of see what, and it may. this may be on me. I may not, just not have been in the right mood, um, but I kind of had a bit of a sense of humour failure with it. And yeah, it didn't, didn't do it for me i'm afraid a lot of the humor in it is very deliberately very edgy of let's let's see how far we can go and i think because it's so absurd because it's so over the top it gets away with it in a way that would seem obnoxious elsewhere i think because Mm. because as the film goes on it becomes increasingly insane there are until by the until by the end you're meeting the bounty hunters who murdered Jesus Christ and and Abraham Lincoln and Joan of Arc. Oh right, okay, yeah, I did. I did kind of wonder about that. This is a as I say, this is a rotten thing to say, and I I do kind of apologise in advance for kind of uh, pouring scorn on the film before it's even started. I saw that and kind of saw those pictures and just kind of didn't really assume that the film was clever enough to be referring to that. So it's it's clear that I've I've definitely underestimated it. Um and that's absolutely on that's absolutely on me. But no, it's very, very odd. It really does kind of fit into that kind of it's it, this is what, two thousand and eleven, I think? Yeah. What's a good I'm going to sound like an old fart. I don't care. This really does feel like a film very much of its time, as you say, with that kind of edgy sort of uh, let's see how shocking we can be. There's a whole bunch of... It really feels to fit into that period. Uh, It makes me think of kind of stuff like... Was it Monkey Dust on BBC Three? And all those kind of all-around... I appreciate this is 2011, but all those kind of vaguely post millenniumy sort of things where people were loudly kind of proclaiming that racism and sexism were over and it was therefore okay to make jokes that were as racist and sexist as possible because we all knew it was a bad thing. Yeah, this kind of feels to me like it very much fits into that sort of period. I think it gets away with it because all the all the the horrible edgy stuff is perpetrated by obviously villainous characters yeah that the that the hobo himself although he is a violent vigilante is still ultimately a good person he's trying to protect people he's trying to help people he acknowledges that he's um he's someone who's gone beyond the the, the point where he can live a normal life hmm and I think the way Hauer plays him with surprising seriousness and sensitivity, given the craziness of much of the rest of the mm. film, that he plays it so straight and so sincere, I think oh, it, yeah. it, it rebalances it somewhat. It's a credit to him that... Oh God, this is, again, sorry, this is going to start, start, start sounding a bit patronising, but it's a real credit to him as an actor that he brings that professionalism to it that he knows not to just go everything's crazy so i'm going to sort of match the tone and the energy level of the film 
no, as you say, he steps back and he's, he treats this as a proper acting role. And he is one of the... He's very, very good in it. And yeah, he does, he does his best to ground the film. But unfortunately, one of the things that kind of stopped the film working for me is that it's such a kind of anything-goes assembly of uh, nonsense that the bits of the film that were supposed to be a bit more sincere and meaningful just kind of, they had no emotional weight. Um, but we'll get, to, we'll get to those in a bit. It opens with the hobo arriving in town in a boxcar. Um, a, a lot of the music of inevitably homaging previous stuff and the title mm. music is lifted from Mark of the Devil, a 1970 German video nasty. Starring, Her say... starring Herbert Lom. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One of the things that I really like about the um, the opening titles is the, is the colour grading. They've gone to a lot of effort to really make it look... What's the opposite of washed out? Um, oversaturated, haven't they? You know, there's all these kind of lurid reds and greens and blues, and it really does look like a film that was shot on cheap... A cheaper stock but it's also quite not you know in contrast to all the kind of the the parade of teal and orange films you get these days you kind of sit there looking i'm sort of sitting there watching the opening titles going oh, the forbidden colors you know it's <laughs> it's really really nice to look at um and it's yeah um the opening sequences are all sort of very nice and very lyrical um and yeah really well done and i suppose it's a bait and switch, isn't it? Because it's miss. Uh, it's attempting a bit of a misdirect to um, uh, to fool you into what the rest of the film is going to be like. Well, the music to me sounded very sort of spaghetti westernish, mm. and the hobo is very much a man with no name type figure who comes into town and takes yeah. on the the cruel villains. Um, yeah. And it, it, it owes a lot to 70s exploitation movies. It's also worth noting, in the original trailer, uh, the hobo was played by uh, a man called David Brunt, who wasn't an actor. He was kind of a local character who wound up being adopted by the feature film as a mascot. And what uh, Simon Jones is to Arthur Dent, David Brunt is to the hobo. It's, right. It's kind okay. of a fictionalized version of a real person. When he keeps talking about bears, David Brunt really does keep talking about bears. He's interviewed on the DVD extras. He actually sits in on the DVD commentary. He's actually like that. Right. And okay. and he sounds this this very this very sort of grizzled, deep-voiced um uh, uh you know kind of, sort of relic of a past age. And at one point, mm. he's, he, he casually mentions that in five months, he's going to be 50. And I thought, he's only 49. Wow. <laughs> he sounds about 80. The, both ah. from his voice and the way he speaks. And he's this very, uh, this, this very unlikely film character. Apparently, they, they wanted him to play the lead role. They wanted him to be mm. the hobo in the feature. But they they couldn't find him. They were you know he he just disappeared oh. off the face of the earth. And huh. it turned I thought out you were going to go. Oh, sorry, go on. And it turned out he was deliberately hiding 
because the, <laughs> the, 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 the idea of having to carry a feature film was so frightening and so intimidating uh-huh. to him that he just, he just went into hiding and was en- eventually huh. sort of talked out of it and said, well, you know, we have to, it turns out we have to have like a major name playing the lead anyway. So he yeah. does have a cameo in the movie. Okay. Where does he show up in the film? Uh, he gets a big close-up when the um, the cops are rolling out of the police station, and okay. he, scream, he screams into the camera, "We're all dirty cops!" Oh, that's right. Okay, that make I did, I did kind of wonder about that bit because yeah, that that particular actor, I thought it was. <sighs> there were quite a few points where this film and. Uh, I'm showing my ignorance here again, but there you go. A lot of this reminds me of the kind of weird straight-to-video stuff that you would get in the 80s, where you would go down to sort of try and rent something and there was nothing decent left, so you would just pick out the film with the best kind of title. And obviously a lot of those films, because they weren't necessarily made by good production teams or with proper actors, they would have very, very weird kind of random moments and i've got to admit i assumed that that we all we're all dirty cops line was an attempt to kind of to to recreate one of those odd vhs moments in part i think yes but um it was just a way of putting their mm. muse on on camera hmm. that he's this is this very strange eccentric figure who who suddenly you know they've they've managed to build a film around <laughs> Um, the hobo arrives in Hope Town, but the uh, the signs yeah. defaced, so it's called Scum Town. And we see the skylight. There's you know there's buildings on fire and there's sirens and it's, yes, it's it's <laughs> it's exactly like how the Daily Mail recently described my hometown in a recent article. Um, really? Because uh, yeah, because I live I live on a small island off the uh, the south coast of England, and there's a there's a road bridge connecting us to the mainland. Mm. But um, uh, the Daily Mail ran a story about how uh, there's no police station on the island and the nearest one is only open three days a week. And there's been a reasonable amount of shoplifting uh, as okay. a result, which is uh, uh, understandable. But the the mail decided to report this as though uh, Snake Plissken is going to get sent in any minute. Um, wow. As though this is some kind of Mad Max, lawless, post-apocalyptic <laughs> nightmare town. And well, yes. Not, I mean, there is not, the Thunderdome, obviously. Well, yeah, but that's just for the tourists. Yeah, um, it's just like a it's like a town with a lot of um, older and retired people, and yeah, there's there is some petty crime, maybe a little bit yeah. more than normal because we don't have that police presence. But it's we've had like one murder every decade, and that seems usually that's like that's pretty been, good you know, some domestic thing, um, rather than you know mm. roving gangs of marauding. Holiday makers. <laughs> I think I was rewarding pensioners by the sounds of it. We did have a motorcycle gang here come here last weekend, but it was just a lot of old folks who like motorbikes going mm. up and down the seafront for a bit and then having fish and chips and going home. I'm sure oh, the populace was slightly terrified, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was just a, with all the noise. I mean, you couldn't get your afternoon yeah. nap. It was. Mm. So, so inconsiderate. 
But the tower. I once got trapped. Uh, oh, sorry. No, I, no don't, go on, don't worry go on. about it. I once got. This is a completely lengthy and unrelated anecdote, so I apologise and feel free to edit this out. I once got trapped on a traffic island in New York by a group of Harley Davidson riders because you've got that weird traffic rule in America where you can turn right on a red light. And I'm standing there waiting to cross the road, and there's just this parade of Harley Davidson riders going past and going past and going past and, and there's like thousands of them and they just kept going and kept going and kept going and gradually I was joined on this traffic island by more and more people and we were marooned because we were waiting for the red light to stop the traffic so that we could cross but we couldn't cross because everyone was allowed to turn right on a red light and we're just standing there um and this gang i think we were standing there for about 10 minutes while this as i say this never-ending parade it was like the harley davidson equivalent of the shriners or something i've no idea what was going on but it was just weird um and just the noise that these bloody bikes made and the and the petrol fume stench it was it was very very odd it's a very vivid memory but i don't really know why why they were all there Oh, it's a show of force, isn't it? Well, possibly, yeah, that's true. It's like the Warriors. <laughs> You're lucky you didn't get beaten up by a man with uh, a baseball bat and all makeup on his face. Well, yeah, that's true. That could have been uh, that could have been inconvenient. It would have certainly put a cloud over the holiday. Oh yeah. Well, in Hope Town, there's uh, a man filming homeless people fighting each other. And uh, oh, one, man's be- one man's being chased down the street with a manhole cover around his neck. And everyone's hiding as this very retro car suddenly appears around the corner. And yeah, there's uh, you're saying about the color design and there's a deliberate choice to have the Drake, the villain, his two sons and their car all black and white. Very monochromatic and stark against this very oversaturated color palette so we have this very futuristic looking car screaming around the corner and ivan and slick the sons of pimp warlord the drake get out Mm. and this is this is where the film started to go a bit wrong for me because this is where i needed the film to be I, I I just didn't really understand the setup. You know, I'm kind of I, I saw I think as the as the credits roll, there's a credit for somebody that says plague created by somebody or other. Um and I knew the film obviously was called Hobo with the Shotguns, but I didn't really know what the Hobo was taking the shotgun to because I did minimal research as always. Um and I began to think, well, is this like some kind of zombie film or something? And of course as he's coming into the town and there's all the smoke and there's all the looting and all the rioting. I was thinking, well, okay, is this good? Yeah, is this going to be some kind of zombie apocalypse? And I really, I didn't understand the setup of the film. And I appreciate it's, again, supposed to just be this crazy anything goes, oh my God, yeah, well, crime is just out of control. But it doesn't feel like a city in fear. It just. There were times when the population are all sort of carrying in terror from Drake and his gang. And then there's other times when they're all enthusiastically looting cars and stealing from each other. And 
I just, like I say, I, I didn't get it. And weirdly, I needed a little bit more reality at this point to to kind of to give me a chance to come to terms with the film and I think that's one of the I think the film set me off on the wrong note because it just launches straight away into all this kind of lawmaking craziness well I think there's a contrast there because um it the, the scene is on a normal suburban street mm. but we have this insane um live game show going on in the middle of the road as all the the residents are forced to stand and watch. So I think, I think that's there's, the other th- there, there, there is that contrast there. And I think you're right. I wonder if that contrast kind of kind of wrong footed me. And I, I wasn't really thinking about it at the time. But it's like a lot of different pieces that, that to me didn't really fit together as I as I was trying to make sense of this. And of course this is not some big budget Hollywood film, they can't afford to build, you know, Gotham City. But in a weird sort of way, that's... I almost feel like that's what this film needed. It needed to be more... If the design had been able to be a bit more abstract or a bit more obviously apocalyptic or nightmarish, it would have cued me in on what to expect. And I think that's kind of the problem I had, was that I was getting all these mixed messages that I was then struggling to assemble into something that sort of made sense to me. What I think is, the idea is that uh, Hope Town is, it's an, it's an office. I mean, a lot of it is just Halifax film. Yes, yeah. I mean, I mean, they, they joke <laughs> in the commentary that the film is basically a documentary. Um, hmm. But it's this, this normal town where the Drake has taken control hmm. and his 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 evil and his uh depravity is sort of trickling down and infecting everyone and and Mm. affecting their behavior and some people it's turning into ravening lunatics going around squashing people with jcbs while a lot of other people are just cowering in dustbins yeah, and I suppose that's as I say I don't want to I really don't want to sound like a stock worker on this so I'll, I'll but I needed I needed like clear, yeah, I needed it's, more obvious kind of city in fear cues, basically. First rule of comedy, Spike: you've got to have reality. Yeah, and that was that was maybe that was it. Maybe there wasn't enough reality for me. <laughs> it it does, yeah. I think starting as it does, I think there is an element of grounding to it, where you just you have, a, you have a villain, you have a normal street, you have this uh, crazy scene. So it has to mm. be beyond anything reasonable and then as the film mm. goes on it becomes increasingly bizarre until by the end you yeah. have like un- undead demons and their octopus pet and um you know all, all kinds of yeah. insane goings on and, and maybe buses. that's the, I, as a, as i say I, I was out of the i was out of step with the film because i was expecting it to go from naught to 60 and actually it goes from 60 to sort of 120 but yeah, like I say, I wasn't, I didn't have that awareness at the time. That it, uh, and yeah, as I say, I think a lot of my slightly negative reaction to this film is on me. Um, but it's just interesting how you can, how, how something like that can just colour your opinions, and you don't really even necessarily understand what's happening. You know what's happening to your own your own views. Hmm. But the uh, the man who's being chased is uh, Logan, the brother of the Drake. 
and um, the Drake's sons, Ivan and Slick, catch him and force him into a manhole so that just his head is poking out. They put a barbed wire noose... Yeah. Sorry, yeah, keep, keep... No, what I was going to say was I quite liked all this whole kind of barbed wire noose sequence because it's kind of... It, it's... It's... It's 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 over the top. No, really. Uh, but you know what I mean? It's kind of... It's almost that, that thing of it's de- it's so deliberately over the top that you go, right, okay, fine. I, I, I get what's going on here. And I quite liked... I quite liked this sequence. I just, as I said, didn't understand how it fitted in with the tone and all those sorts of things the 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 drake are they driving a delorean as well no um i've forgotten the kind of car it was it was a very specific type of car but the but it's got the scene where wings it, it, or whatever yeah it has these gull wing doors mm. and it when it screams around the corner that was the very first shot they used and it's edited oh they filmed with it and it's edited quite tightly because they actually spun out and smashed into a lamppost. And, <laughs> oh dear. and <laughs> that meant that the rest of the time, the car's on screen, it, it's barely moving because they could barely oh, get it to work anymore. And they almost wrecked it. Hmm. Um, a lot of the time, it's just being pushed into shot. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> oh, um, well, I hope they had good insurance. Yeah. Um, well, they yeah they 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 pop the noose around his neck and take off and off comes his head and there's a a fountain of blood and obviously a woman in a bikini and a fur coat appears and starts dancing in the blood fountain because this yeah, is the kind of, of film that is yeah and uh, yeah you know that's it's all quite nicely over the top I hadn't picked up on the fact that everyone's wearing black and white but that is quite a clever way of distinguishing them from the sort of the, the, the technicolour of the rest of the film um, yeah and yes what else are you going to do except dance in a column of blood among the um, the various extras um, there was um, a young man who had recently had eye surgery, uh, he'd been blind his whole life um, but had uh, had corrective surgery on his eyes and his, his sight was starting to come back. And it turns out that the very first thing he saw was a woman in a bikini dancing in a blood fountain. Fair enough, yeah. Appar- um, apparently that that's true. The memories will last forever, yeah. Yeah. The hobo goes to a um, pawnbroker's where he sees a lawnmower in the window on sale for $50. And he makes a sign so that he can beg for money and initially the sign says that oh he's he's raising money for his crippled son but he he tears that up and throws it away and instead just says that he's tired hmm. and wants money yeah no that's quite yeah. a nice and and then it cuts to them it cuts to him sitting on the pavement and a couple of people are actually throwing him money because the sign seems to be doing a reasonable job of working which is quite a nice joke yeah, it's it's sincere, mm. and there's you know there's a lot of people in town who are good people. They're just frightened. There's an odd when he looks at that lawnmower. There's an odd little bit where there's like a fifties style commercial playing on a TV, isn't there? And it's almost well. Obviously, I didn't know why he wanted a lawnmower. Um, I'm sitting there going, "This film's called Hobo with a Shotgun, not Hobo with a Lawnmower." This is plainly ridiculous, um, but. It was just something, and that the 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 advert. 
I'm assuming it was specially shot for the film, but they do a very, very good job of capturing that weird kind of perfect worldness of a lot of 50s footage where, you know, it just sort of, you know, it, it, it captures that really kind of very specific kind of Eisenhower, oh, America's a city on the up, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. It's just a very, 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 it's a throwaway moment, but it's very nicely done. It it was made for the film, and it was actually made yeah. without the director's knowledge, and presented oh. to him as a as a complete thing for the scene, and he was delighted. Yeah. Oh well, good for him. Um, we visit uh, the Drake's murder arcade, where homeless people are dragged inside and used for amusement. Um, yes. Put put uh, you know, tying them to the front of dodgems and smashing their heads in, or putting their feet on those test your weight. Uh, uh, mm. games and then and smashing them to bits with hammers the level of gore in this film is oh it's deranged. theatrical isn't it yeah it's so deliberately over the top um and that's kind of when i say you know I, i'm a, i'm always a, I, I, I do kind of want to uh, let me make myself clear I wasn't like offended, but it's not. I'm sort of sitting there like Mary Whitehouse going, "This is completely unacceptable." It was obviously all very unrealistic and very hyperbolic. It's just that because I was kind of scrambling to catch up with the film, that the over-the-topness, as I say, was the stuff that stopped some of the more sincere scenes a bit later on from really working for me. Um, but yeah, this is just—it's just—it's beyond even RoboCop levels of gore isn't it in a way yeah there's there's a lot of exploding heads in this film mm. i think the other thing that's a bit that's a bit weird about the the, the the first few opening sequences the rutger howard just kind of wanders around as an observer you know, you're sort of 12 minutes in and you've been following the hobo around but he's not really done anything there are lots of shots of him sort of looking out from behind things or um you know just looking on appalled as yes as people have their heads squashed and ripped off and feet uh sledgehammered and uh, whatever else well, is going on he's he's sort of scoping out the town and mm. initially it's He's established as a very passive character. He, yeah. he's, he's just he's just begging for change. He's not taking any kind of active role in his environment. Mm. Um, one of the games in the in the arcade is the Plague, mm. notably, and um, yes. uh, the guy who's playing it owes some money to Ivan, I think, and so Ivan uh, breaks his arm, but says, "Oh, there's a way for all the pain to go away." And out of his pocket, just pulls out a huge clod of cocaine and thumps it down and squashes the guy's face into it. Mm. And <laughs> the recurring image of people just having pocketfuls of, of cocaine, yes. like ha handfuls of loose drugs. Yes, it's that a just weirdly get, just kind get thrown around. It's a weirdly kind of. It's like an extreme version of the kind of the joke you'd get in the Beano, where people would have like enormous, unrealistic mounds of mashed potato with all sausages sticking out. <laughs> um, it's, 
you know, it's but it's that, but but sort of taken to its um, completely irrational extreme. Yeah, and I again, I kind of wasn't sure if it was because I'd picked up on this reference to the plague in the titles, and the arcade game is called the plague, and then sort of. I'm basically I'm I'm sort of sitting there trying to put like Homer Simpson I'm struggling to put my own plot together in my head um and I thought oh well maybe this this is a special kind of drug or something like that you know um but yes it's he gets his he gets his face rammed in it and then the entire crowd kind of lunges forwards and they're all just burying their faces in this enormous pile aren't they yes yeah I made the it made me think of sort of a lot of eighties trash movies that like kind of yes. things we've already mentioned these sort of straight to video sleaze or armors, um, but also a little bit like two thousand AD. Yeah, yeah. As you, it's got that very kind of, it's got that very kind of comic book sensibility to it, where or action. If you've ever sort of come across any of like Hookjaw. Um, oh yeah, where which was was the shark comic strip that was saved for the color spread because the center spread of the comic was the only place you could afford to print color, and you wanted to make sure that there was as much blood as possible. Yeah, so yeah, was, so uh, we, we so week on week people were just falling into Hookjaw's mouth on a regular basis. Yeah, a, a a Jaws comic strip from the point of view of the shark, who were just who every week was just eating different people. Yeah, yeah, and it's but it's really got that kind of that action sensibility of this is over the top. It's like yeah, this is over the top, and if we did this, it'll go really over the top. Like the original Mars Attacks trading cards as well. Okay, yeah, I which guess are, that's true. Which, yes, which are astonishingly gruesome. Hmm. I mean, they are. I mean, I mean, they were famously banned, and you look at them now and you think, mm. God, I mean, they were a bit. <laughs> These came out in the fifties. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm aware of some of you know some of the ones like killing a dog, but I assume that's a fairly mild one in comparison to to the rest of them. Then there was one that I really liked, which was um, I think it was giant insect attacking a wedding. And snipping the <laughs> and snip, snipping the bride's head off, but, oh, <laughs> but in the background yeah. you can see the photographer still taking pictures. <laughs> well, of course, and that's that's good. and that's the kind of stuff. Yes, that the action and two thousand AD were were feeding off. Actually, might as well mention this here while I'm thinking of it. For years, I have had a comic panel stuck in my head, and I was convinced it was two thousand AD, but I'm sure it isn't now. Um, but it's the kind of thing. It's the Bee Gees, or possibly clones or robot duplicates of the Bee Gees, and they are falling into a dinosaur's mouth. And as they fall in, the speech bubble is them saying, ah, 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 eaten alive, eaten alive. Now, <laughs> it's possible I've invented this in my fevered imagination, but it's kind of almost too good a joke. I could have believed it was the goodies or... Sam Slade Robo Hunter or something. I've never been able to track the source of it down. Well, that's that's one to ask Scarred for life about, I think. Yeah, that's true. That's not a bad idea, actually. Um, Slick drags one of the, uh, the sex workers at the arcade outside while the hobo watches. And he's saying all sorts of horrible things that I really don't want to repeat. Mm. Um 
but the hobo intervenes before he can do anything and just starts beating him with a sock full of coins. Yes. Yeah, it's... It's uh, yeah, it's a, it's an awkward kind of sequence, isn't it? Because I I don't want to get too po-faced over this because again, the kind of the films it's riffing on from the um, from the eighties all had very very poor attitudes towards women and things. Um, what's the what's the character's name? Is it Abby? Yes. Yeah. She's obviously she's. Uh, she's 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 supposed to be some teenage prostitute, isn't she? Because it's that kind of film. Um, well, I think she's supposed to be an adult. Oh, okay. I, sorry, I'm I'm over fifty. Everybody looks like teenagers to me these days. Uh, yeah, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just it's very much one of those weird scenes, isn't it? Where it's a, it's sort of over everything's a bit over sexualized. It's the 2011's about the last point where you could kind of get away with this sort of dialogue and still claim it's ironic, I think. I think also because it's it's only ever the ruthlessly horrible depraved mm. villains who talk like that. Yeah, and, that's true. Uh, and he's yeah he says something about um, Mother Teresa, and the hobo says, "How don't you fucking dare? Mother Teresa was a saint." Yes. So it's but, it's only it's only the bad guys who say these things. So it's quite, uh, it's it's not okay. Yeah. But it's I think it's easily defensible. Yeah, it's the kind of thing. It looks terrible if it's taken out of context, but within the context of the film, it it makes sense. Yeah, there there is a scene a little later where there is an actual underage prostitute, oh, and God, there is, she's isn't there? Yeah. she's actually played by the production intern, who they had to very politely ask if she was okay with that because she's an adult who happens to look young, and she's actually interviewed on in yeah. DVD extras, and okay. mentions how how awkward it was for them having to ask her. Yeah, I bet that was a fun conversation to have. Yeah, and then the hobo, hobo drags him off to the police station and says, "Lock him up with the sodomites." And again, it's like, okay, fine, we'll let that one go as ironic banter. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, he, he, I mean, he means rapists, I think. Nah. Um, he, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Rutger Hauer himself, um, a great man, a, a noted environmentalist. A founder of a charity supporting AIDS awareness and donated all the proceeds from his autobiography to that charity. Yeah, good for him. No, as I say, it's. I don't want to come across as, as scolding the film. And like I say, any of this stuff, you could just pull it out of context and go look at how unacceptable this is. It's not. But some of it was a bit too spicy for you. No, not even that. I, I think. Ah, I don't know. I, 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 whatever point it was, I was trying to make is is long gone. Um, personal taste is, is, is personal yeah. taste is personal taste. If if you don't like something, that doesn't mean necessarily that you find it unacceptable. That just means that you yeah. it, you didn't engage with it. It didn't grab you in a particular way, and mm. that's fine. Um, like you say, you're not reprimanding the film for anything. You're not Mary Whitehouse. No, I think um, actually what you, I you think it say, is, yeah, is it's not for me. It's all Which a is... stew. It's all a, it's all a rich stew, and I think it's just more this feeling that that 
2011, 2012, it all just feels like, as I say, that, that was kind of the end of that point when people really thought that you could make these kind of jokes and you could have this kind of dialogue and people would take it in the spirit that was intended, which is, this is a horrible thing to say and we know it's a horrible thing to say and aren't we all kind of looking at each other over the dialogue and winking at each other because we all know it's unacceptable and we're, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's that, it's, it's mirrors reflecting all the way down, but it's, it's mirrors of irony reflecting all the way down. Um, but give it another couple of years and yeah, you know, the, 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 the climate would have just changed completely. And I think that's kind of more what I'm, I, I think I'm more interested almost in this almost as like an artifact rather than sort of pointing at dialogue and going, this is a terrible thing to say. Well, if you look back at other villains, I mean, one that really springs to mind is the Sheriff of Nottingham in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He is oh, the standout. Yeah. He is the standout character in that film. He has fantastic mm. dialogue. He's incredibly charismatic. He steals the whole movie, and I think Hobo with a Shotgun pushes that to its logical extreme, where you have mm. these incredibly over-the-top, uh, incredibly depraved characters who have this insane dialogue that's in some ways quite quotable even when it's utterly horrific but they are but but they are absolutely the villains there is absolutely no ambiguity in the film these are Mm. monsters and everything they say and do is horrible yeah and it's not a film that's designed to be watched by me sitting by myself um in front of the TV. You know, it's obviously it's a film that's designed to be watched in a big auditorium with sort of 250 like-minded people. Um, it's it's almost the Rocky Horror Show in a weird sort of way, isn't it? It's almost like an audience participation film. You're meant to be there and you're meant to sort of cheer along ironically at the, the excess and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's it's not aimed at me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the uh, the chief of police reveals that he's actually in league with the Drake, and Slick mm. and Ivan come in and they start carving into the hobo's chest before yes. throwing him into a pile of garbage. And uh, Rutger Hauer performed that stunt himself. He actually did a he did a front flip off a step ladder into the pile of garbage wow. at sixty six years old. That's pretty because good guy. And he and he, st- he started setting this up before telling the director as well. So now I'm going to do it myself. Ah, good for him. Yeah, the um, um, what was it? There's quite a nice line there as well, actually. Quite a nice '80s VHS uh, line where it's what is it? Every day is garbage day for street trash like you. Um, I really like that line. There, there is some really great quotable dialogue. Mm. Uh, even the stuff that's not horrifying. Yes. <laughs> yeah, just looking through a, a list of quotes. I'm going to sleep in your bloody carcasses tonight. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, uh, the, yes, obviously some of it is just uh, is just designed to be as horrible as possible. <laughs> mm. And um, as as the as the hobo's being held down, um, he says, "Oh, I thought this was a police station, not the fucking circus." <laughs> Rutger Hauer spits these lines out with such yeah. real anger and venom. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, As I say, he's doing God. He's he's really doing God's work in this picture because he's the person that um, stops it from spinning completely out of control. Hmm. 
he's, as he's stumbling down the street, he, he finds Abby and uh, she takes him home to look after him. Yes. And we find out a bit more about her. And, and she's, I think, quite well characterized. She doesn't have any pictures in her home because she doesn't have anything worth remembering. And yeah, the, 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 hobo's, the hobo is very sort of receptive to the fact that she's deep down quite a kind person and says that she should be a teacher, mm. uh, even though she doesn't have any options apart from standing on street corners because it's the town is such it's a that kind of town. Yeah. And th- th- this is the trouble, as I say, it's the earlier craziness undermines all these kind of sequences for me because it stops them from feeling sincere i think that's the only way i can put it um it feels like you can have you can have a film that's kind of hyperbolic to the max or you can have a film that kind of goes between sort of uh extra (sighs) robocop is the go-to example of course um, the scenes of, you know, it's got the most appalling scenes of violence and the, you know, uh, uh, terrible attitudes towards women and things like that. But the the film, but you've also got the sequences of Murphy walking back through his house after it's empty, haven't you? And they they work and they've got a sincerity that works because because the film is grounded because, yes, Detroit is an urban hellhole where crime is out of control, but it's they've taken time to place it kind of in the real world and there's all the stuff going on around it that makes the world seem solid i don't really understand what um i've managed to forget what the town's called um hope town i i kind of don't really understand hope town and how it fits into the world it's just this kind of extreme place and that's that's the problem i've got is that without that anchoring I have difficulty in making the more quiet, sincere scenes work. Well, I'm thinking it's it's Nova Scotia, so it's just too far away from anywhere to be worth bothering with. I suppose that's true, yes, yeah. And it's that I'm sitting there going, why don't you just leave? Well, if it's in Nova Scotia, I don't even know how easy it is to just leave Nova Scotia. There's, uh, I'm assuming a nice there's a bus or something. Probably. There's a nice bit of dialogue where the hobo talks about his relationship with pain and that he just learns to turn it off. And for yeah. him, pain is like a brother he fights with occasionally. Mm. Um, and he starts talking about bears and uh, oh yes, yeah. how, how dangerous bears can be. And because she, because um, Abby gives him a bear t-shirt to wear in bed. Um, bears can bears can rampage when they get a taste for blood and have to be destroyed. Yes, that's it, and they can claw your face right off. Yes, yeah. I mean, there's a bit in the in the extras where they're interviewing David Brunt again, and he just suddenly starts talking about bears. Oh yeah, oh yeah, bears. They'll they'll cut they'll cut right through this chain link fence here. And David Brunt is so Canadian. I've never heard anyone with a stronger Canadian accent. Oh right. Or they'll go through. They'll go straight through this this ch- this fence like it's butter. Yeah, I don't. You know. I live in London. I don't have a lot of bear experience. No. My understanding well, the is they're frequently out to for, to catch picnic baskets. Yeah, that's just the mean ones. Mm. And the next morning, the hobo goes out and he's seeing all the the horror around town. The uh, some other homeless people fighting, and there's a 
There's a pimp on a street corner. There's a, a car goes by, <sighs> driven by a Father Christmas. And in the back, there's a child screaming and trying to get out. And that, that makes this this year's Christmas episode. Merry <laughs> Christmas, everyone. Nice one. Yeah, happy Christmas. I hope you get uh, everything you asked for. Um, I, I hope you get I, everything I you deserve. Yes, yeah. I really like yes that bit's so obviously nasty and so deliberate it's it's great it's a really it's a good gag and I actually had to watch it a couple of times just to establish that yes it is supposed to be somebody well I thought it was somebody dressed as Father Christmas but actually given the tone of the film and as you say the the kind of the places it goes to and implies later on maybe it's actually Santa Claus given that it's later established that the plague killed the Easter Bunny yeah, um, I think that the, might be Santa. The uh, <laughs> the hobo goes back to the director of the the bum fight video, and agrees oh, that for fifty dollars right. he'll smash a bottle on his head, and chew and eat the glass, mm. and smiles at the camera as blood runs out between his teeth. And, and it's, it's weirdly, it's a much more that this scene is. <sighs> This scene is more effective in terms of the unpleasantness of it because it feels again more ground. It, it, it does actually feel a bit more grounded. Um, but those but bomb fight videos were real things at one point, weren't they? Again, it was yeah. all around the rise of the internet, and it was all around this time. It was yeah, it was just a one big irony party, wasn't it? Yeah. But um, Eisner actually had difficulty with some of the scenes like this that were where the violence was a bit more real and a bit more believable. Like later, okay, well, the, the, some, of the, some, some of the hospital scenes, he, he actually, mm. in, the, in the footage, you see him actually step away from the, the monitors and go and actually have to gather himself because they're a bit too real, a bit too nasty. That's interesting. I wonder if that's why, yeah, as you say, this is a lot less... It's it's a, it's a lot further away from a joke. You know, Santa Claus driving a car around with a screaming kid in the back is obviously nothing but a joke. But the sequence of Rutger Hauer chewing glass is just just unpleasant. Yeah, and as, and and carries with it, of course, with the knowledge that bum fights were a real thing. <sighs> yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? Uh, not funny enough in a hilarious way but 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 yeah it's it's very unsettling there is this undercurrent to the film of um sympathy with and solidarity with uh homeless people hmm. uh and it's as, as the film goes on it beca- and as the film goes on and it gets crazier this gets more and more emphasis that it's it has empathy with this mistreated underclass it's quite surprising that i think that, that then goes in this sort of odd direction the crazier it becomes the more sincere it becomes about this genuine real world issue yeah. and um it, I, not that it's doing or saying anything especially profound but for a film like this to to, to make that kind of stand yeah and to do so and to do so in, i think in always quite an eloquent way when Abby has her big speech to the to the assembled crowd and persuades them to take back the streets from Drake. Uh, but, yeah, um, I, as I that, say, that, I, I don't. 
I, I, it didn't, didn't really. The, 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 I wasn't in tune with the film, but I know, I know exactly the scene you mean. And yes, it's quite, it's quite art. It, it's very well articulated. It just didn't kind of work for me as the big rallying point at that time. But yeah, yeah, it's. It is interesting that yes, the film is actually just a, when they talk on the director's commentary and the behind the scenes stuff. Um, does Nova Scotia sort of suffer from that very kind of end of the line thing that places like Penzance and Hastings do, where you do unfortunately get a lot more homeless people because they kind of get on the train and they just get off at the last place? Is it that there's a particular sort of homeless problem in Nova Scotia, or is it just that that's where they lived and so that's why they filmed it? Oh, that that is just where that they were from. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But. It, it is possible, of course, that it was inspired by their surroundings. Mm. Um, that may, maybe Eisner noted that uh, that uh, Halifax and Dartmouth seem to have a a bigger problem with yeah. homeless people than uh, than other areas might. So it becomes, you know, it, it all feeds in with with other sources. Yeah. Or alternatively, they just like the title "Hobo with a Shotgun," of course. Yeah. Um, Abby wakes in at home and finds that the hobo has put a picture of a bear in one of her picture frames, which is, I think, very sweet. While he goes to yeah. the pawnbrokers to buy his mower, but they're held up by robbers, yeah. and they're the, they're again they're the most deranged, over-the-top ro- robbers you can find because one of them's pointing a gun at a baby. Yes. So what does the hobo do? He takes a shotgun off the wall and he blows them away. Although in quite a night, he pays for a shotgun, doesn't he? Because yeah, you, you he get buys it. A, what, what's quite a nice, what's quite a nice gag actually. He looks, he's he's checking out the lawnmower while the robbery is still going on. I think I get the impression he's still vaguely looking, but then he looks up, sees the shotgun on the wall. Sees the doesn't he see the price of the lawnmower, then sees the price of the shotgun and realizes the shotgun's like fifty cents more expensive or something. Stu, I I can't remember the exact setup of the joke now, but there is de- I'm sure there's definitely something to it. It's like the lawnmower's forty nine ninety nine and the shotgun is forty nine ninety nine, um, and he just kind of um, it pulls a, a slightly glum face and then and then buys the shotgun anyway. Yeah. Uh, he heads off and he finds the director of the bum fights tape and makes him eat the tape. Oh, uh, that's right. And also shoots him with the shotgun, I think. Yeah. He um he shoots the pimp. Um and um Oh, that's right. We, and and this is where he starts making the papers. Yes. And we and we see the great headline Hobo stops begging demands change. Yeah, and that's a really that that's a nice gag. Obviously, because because I'm a boring nerd, I freeze framed it. Did you see the text that actually comes up on the newspaper stories? I did. It's the news report from Ain't It Cool News about yeah. the start of principal photography. Yeah, and I, I, again, nice to see somebody behind the scenes making that kind of effort for a for for what's literally a freeze frame gag. Yeah. Um, the hobo visits some drug traffickers and um, takes them out. He's wearing a disguise of having pulled his uh, woolly hat over his eyes and cut eye holes in it. 
And that was a, that was the yeah. Rudger Hauer idea. <laughs> that was a joke from him, was it? Yeah. And uh, the the drug traffickers are they're also just again throwing around handfuls of cocaine, just loose, yes. <laughs> just loose drugs. Yeah. Um, there's another newspaper headline: parents smile as bodies pile. Um, he he takes out the Father Christmas and you know redecorates the inside of his car with his brains. And there's a, there's another newspaper headline, but before we can read it, someone breaks into the the newspaper thing and steals all the papers and off screen we hear uh, the sound of a shotgun blast and then blood spattering all over the place yeah and i love i love that as a gag yes yeah it's nicely um nicely done and then you get a weird kind of uh news report and where again it's just that thing of i i struggle to I, i struggle to to place myself in the reality of the film but i've taught that to death so i'll stop i'll stop going on about that and then uh, and then we cut back to the drake don't we yeah they're using a they're um they're sort of arranged the characters in the scene a little like the um leonardo's last supper but in the middle but in the middle there's a homeless man strung upside down like a pinata being hit with a baseball bat with nails in and by by naked women yes Mm. and when the director's mother who I think is a quite a small C conservative woman saw that scene. Mm. She thought, well, why why did you put Jesus in there? Well, that the the homeless man upside down. I mean, that's like he's been crucified upside down. That's Jesus, isn't it? Because of the Last Supper, and that's not intentional. Oh, but um, uh, the Drake t- uh, sort of advises Slick, and you know, look if you if you want to. Uh, uh, if you want to rule over the people, you've got to inspire fear. You've got to make mm. them so afraid of you. So you know, you, th- you think about that, son. There's a whole hint as well, isn't there, of rivalry between the two sons? In that there's, uh, you've got is it? Uh, you've got Slick, and you've got the other one whose name escapes me. Ivan, that's it. And Ivan is, is Ivan the older one? But I think so. He's yeah, is not the is not the Drake's favoured son, and there's suddenly there's this vague hint of, of you know, sort of rivalry between the two. Um, but yes, I mean, obviously that's not the important thing in the scene. The important thing in the scene is um, that the there's a naked the, 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 there's a man being pinyarded by naked women. Uh, not yeah. something you see every day. No. Um, so Ivan and Slick. Um, use their initiative and they head onto a school bus with a flamethrower and they start asking the children hey kids do you like candy yay do you like ice cream yay do you like hobos yay well i hate hobos and he turns the flamethrower on them and torches a bunch of children and this yeah, apparently to, to, this apparently was the big sticking point during the fi- while the film was in development because a lot of people apparently didn't like this idea in the movie and felt it was maybe a bit much really yeah i thought it was just I mean, a, you know the... murdering a bus full of children with a flamethrower was probably over the line a little i think this was the kind of the point 
where I was as in tune with the film as I was ever going to be. And it was obviously, I just kind of watched it went and sort of went, yeah, that's fine. If you're going to go there, then obviously you're going to go there. And they've li- they've gone to the trouble of licensing Disco Inferno, haven't they? But presumably they didn't yeah. tell the, they didn't tell the music, the person that hold the music rights, what scene it was going to go over the top of. So what, there was pressure to tone down the scene to would a bus full of a bus full of puppies been more acceptable or uh, possibly um but when they when they want... were talking when they were talking to financiers they thought that was just too much right but even so ah. it's it's handled almost tastefully you see one yes. child uh, hitting against a window trying to get out but there's no real detail there there's yeah. a scene oh, yeah. later where you would have seen uh, like the ghosts of two of the burnt children, but that was cut because it felt that it that the scene worked better without them. Um, but it's yeah. it's it's actually handled quite thoughtfully because even like the makers are thinking, well, we can't actually show children burning to death. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, as I say, it just it it once it it, it seems. I, I suppose I'm kind of surprised that they res- they reined themselves in a little bit because I think it just feels like, as I say, that kind of anything goes mood. Why not show two ghost kids? But interesting that they were kind of thinking about the way that scene- individual scenes would play out and would would something be distracting over the tone of of the rest of the film. As- hmm. There's a there's a consideration to how. We want we want to go really far. We want to go over the top, but how far can we go before we actually yeah. lose the audience? Yes, and I think yeah, this this will lose the audience. Like that, like the scene in King Kong where the um, the crewmen are thrown down a little gully and they get torn apart by giant spiders, which mm. during during previews just killed the film stone dead, and the audience never recovered. Um, it's interesting, well, isn't it? Because I would have said that Ghost Kids. Wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't lose the intended audience of this film? I can see that it would it would give uh, the, the the suits um, pause for thought, but in terms of the intended audience, no, I would have assumed that they would they would love it. With the ghost kids, it was thought that that scene works better and is eerier if you don't see them. If it's just this burned out school bus. Mm. taking um slick off to hell yeah and there's and there's no, and there's might... no like human presence there at all well it also in the context of that particular scene it also raises the unfortunate question of if the bus is taking him to hell are the kids going did the kids go to hell were they bad kids um so yeah you no, perhaps they were, don't want they people... were great kids they love hobos yeah. Exactly. You you perhaps don't want the audience kind of trying to unpick the metaphysics of it too much. Um, well, it, I think it's more that he's suffering the same fate as his victims. Yes, yeah. But uh, this is reported by the newsreader again, who is very depressed and very like on the verge of a breakdown. Yes, but good and use then... of the phrase child bodies. Yeah. And then Ivan, uh, and, Slick a... burst, Ivan and Slick burst in and hurl an ice skate into his chest. Uh, uh, yeah, that's, you know, I don't think it's previously been established that one of them really likes ice skating, but there you go. I guess you've got to set it up at some point. 
there is a lovely lovely bear with me you know what i mean there's a line where it's something like once again we need to remind you that only the charred bodies of many many burnt children remain and it is that thing of yes if you're going to sort of deliberately go over the top then just go for it uh, Ivan and Slick announced that there's a new game in town and it's called Gutter Tag. And it means that everyone has to go and kill all the homeless people or they will kill the rest of the children. Yeah. So and in the, the cops... background of this, the newsread is still flailing around like a dying fish, isn't he? Yeah, there's blood spraying onto the background as well. Um, are the cops pour out of the police station all cocking their guns saying, oh we've got homeless to, homeless to kill and one of the, sort of the one cop with a conscience says something like oh what, what, you know, what about uh, shouldn't we be going after dirty cops instead and then one of them just bellows into the camera we're all dirty cops and that's David Brunt the original hobo yeah okay and uh, as I say I think, I think again the introduction of the one straight cop character <sighs> It just, I don't find it fits in with the tone of the film, but. But I it does. It point, does become I, relevant right at the end. It does. It does come oh, back yeah, to the story. Yeah, yeah. but I, as I say, the the, the problem I've got. Uh, I, sorry, I, I don't want to keep talking this to death, but I don't appear to be able to stop myself. You've either got a film that's hyperbolic and constantly over the top, or you've got a film that does the kind of. Um, moments between you know between being uh, being over the top and being a bit more grounded and a bit more sensitive and i don't think this film really very successfully walks the line between those two but uh, i promise not to talk about it again <laughs> well when paul verhoeven made robocop he had 15 years of mm. expertise in filmmaking and feature filmmaking behind him this is jason eisner's first film yeah, that's true. Because, of course, what it what it does kind of make me think of is the obviously really deliberately nasty sequence in Robocop where the van crashes into the chemical waste tank. And that, for me, as a horrible edgelord teenager, was hysterically funny. Um, and it wasn't really received in much of a different way than I imagine that a lot of the stuff in Hobra with a shotgun... Uh, was probably received in exactly the same way. It's yeah, it's it's comic strip gruesomeness. Mm. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I yeah, I know the scene you mean in Robocop. I think it's hilarious. Oh, it's, where you have it's... where you have him, you know, the the guy who's melting, blobbing over to um, uh, Ray Wise and says, "Oh, help me, help me!" And Ray Wise just yeah. starts screaming. Yeah, and it's done with such a. Paul Verhoeven, or the film gives the impression that, that everybody is reveling in that moment and they've deliberately set out to make it as nasty as possible. And he's melting through the rest of his appearances in the film, isn't he? Because he, he gets worse and he gets worse. Oh, and no, he's, he's, he's killed almost... He's, he's hit by a car almost immediately and just bursts. Yeah, yeah he, doesn't, he doesn't suffer for long, but in the few short sequences, he uh, he's visibly getting in worse and worse condition. <sighs> I'm sure it's just interesting, isn't it? It's I suppose what what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to walk that thing of what makes a sequence like that work when I don't necessarily feel that some of the stuff in Hobo with a shotgun maybe it is just the experience or maybe it's yeah. 
there's probably a, lot of, a thesis in it. There's there's a stylization element as well because so much RoboCop is generally filmed in quite a conventional way. There's little in the way mm. of uh, stylized camera work, or the lighting is all very realistic and normal. Um, or that like the police station scenes are all filmed like they look like Hill Street Blues or something. It's all it's yeah. there, there is a grounded element to it all the way through. Hobo with a shotgun is much more stylized, much more comic booky, comic strip like specifically, mm. I'd say. So that there is that separation and the the balance that Robocop manages of having that that over the top element, that over the top violence, but still having these sincere moments of character and drama. Mm. It it manages to balance that in a way that this doesn't because the stylization is so extreme. And maybe as well, the difference in Robocop is that the the over-the-top stuff tends to come in relatively short, controlled bursts. Um, It's not all the way through the film. Weirdly, it's a bit like The Exorcist in that when when they actually get to the exorcism sequence, you have the moments when the characters step out of the room and everything takes a breather. Um, And I don't, I guess I don't get that feeling quite so much with Hobo with a shotgun. It's full tilt, it's foot on the accelerator immediately and it kind of never lets up. And I wonder if eh, maybe that's part of the problem as well. The balance of the content is flipped. That Mm. Robocop is, much of it is, well, I wouldn't say serious drama, but it's sort of played straight and naturalistic yeah. with these with these moments of um extreme extremity yeah and and here it's the other way around it's got extremity all the way through it and then occasionally you have these moments of uh character drama which in isolation work really well mm. but the the overriding tone is that of this ex, this comic strip extreme Hmm. which is harder to engage with than having a baseline of reality and then occasionally going crazy. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Took me 90 minutes to work it out, but I finally got there. (laughs) This is the voice in your head telling you what you're thinking, Chris. (laughs) You're going to have chips for dinner. Uh, No, I had chips on Wednesday, so tonight I have to have sensible (laughs) food. (laughs) Oh, well, you won that. You've got the bicameral mind going where you can um, hold two thoughts in your head. Yeah, see, mm. you're almost cured. We'll yeah, let, this we'll is true. Yeah. Be, we'll be letting you out of that rubber room almost immediately. Excellent. I'll uh, I'll prepare the straitjacket. Um, we see uh, the, the hobo is uh, hiding under a bridge, looking pensive and thinking about the uh, effect he's having while hobos are being rounded up all over town some grabbed into a net and one hides in a box which then gets squashed by a jcb and blood goes everywhere Mm. Uh, a mother hides in a a dumpster with her child and is found by gun-wielding crazies who shoot them and we even see them being thrown into mass graves Yes, well, fireworks uh, go uh, off in the background, yeah. Yeah, and I'm thinking, that's that's getting a bit dark. But it's it's <laughs> it's the kind of, like we're saying, that the film is all extremity. And here it's, yeah. it's treating the social comment in the same way. It's going really over the top. Even if it's saying something, yeah, treating homeless people like this is horrifying and appalling. But we're going to go so far 
in portraying it that way that it becomes like a cartoon it's almost like the message itself becomes part of the joke yeah yeah um and a cop's I mean, out on the sorry sorry uh, i'm just thinking of the sequence with all the fireworks and explosions and stuff going off everyone in the town must have did what the hell's all that noise oh it's just them filming hobo with a shotgun again you um uh, the cop drags abby into his car and is going to do horrible things there even though his partner is the uh the good cop but yeah the, uh, but, sorry, but the hobo okay. intervenes I'm going to be really... I'm going to do a real sour face thing. This bit really undermines the characterization of the good cop because he's given a chance... You know, he sort of kind of sees all this stuff going on and just... Does he just drive away or something? I think the inference is the hobo lets him go. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe that makes a bit more sense. But I kind of... If you're going to have a character that's supposed to be, well, not the hero, you know, effectively almost like the tertiary hero, I guess, because he does kind of get a moment of, he gets a moment of glory towards the end, I think, doesn't he? Yeah. Or does he? It just he... seems a bit strange that he just kind of stands there and just watches when, you know, stuff is obviously, you know, not right. He's, he's not. He's the he's the guy who can't summon up the moral courage to do the right thing so he's just a bystander yeah that's maybe that's it yeah yeah that's true yes um but um the 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 crowd is coming for hobo blood so abby hides him in a um shopping trolley puts the cop's horrible mangled corpse on top and pushes him all the way back home yeah, and it's just, yeah, as I say, I, it's just one of those moments I just kind of shrugged, shrugged and went, whatever, because I was a bit sort of out of sympathy with the uh, with the tone of the film. But it's obviously just meant, to, it, it's again, it's meant to be another, it's another bit for the audience to kind of uh, cheer and go, ew, at. <laughs> and mm. it is pretty gross, you know. Good, what's the technical word for those kind of, like, meaty prosthetics um good prosthetic work in this film mm. you know the the intestines look really unpleasant um there's a bit where when the hobo's climbing out of the shopping trolley again he he falls over and takes the whole thing with him that was actually an outtake they left in oh right that that, that is actually rudger Hauer falling over fair um, enough yeah he tells Abby about his his plans and the the reason he wants the lawnmower is he he wanted to just mow people's lawns for money and ha, you know have the the self respect of earning you know a day's a day's pay mm. for a day's labor and she likes that idea and suggests that you know they we can go to another town and we can start over and we we can we can do this gardening business together mm. and I hope I says, oh, that's a great idea. Okay, let's go. But first I've got to go and wash this guy's arsehole off my face. Yeah, and it's quite a nice, because there's 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 this obviously quite heartfelt scene, and Abby is absolutely caked in blood. Um, Rutger Hauer not quite so much, which makes me wonder if there was a bit of a Bill Murray at the end of Ghostbusters thing going on here. Um, <laughs> but yes, they... Um, they start... 
they start packing, but outside Ivan and Slick arrive. And Ivan is wearing ice skates. Yes. And Slick says, oh, man, you're going to ruin those skates. And Ivan says, oh, I ruin everything. Yeah. Quite, there's also quite a good, uh, quite a good gag, but it's such an absurdist one, where Abby's running around the apartment trying to work out what to pack, um, and she's just she's just packing completely impractical. She wants to take the TV at one point or something. Yeah, she's 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 going to pack the TV, and the hobo says, no, 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 well, no, let's travel light, and she says, yeah, yeah, fuck TV, and pushes it to the floor and smashes it, and the, and the hobo says, we could have sold that. <laughs> Um, but um, the boys burst into the their the flat, and Ivan takes Abby into the bedroom and <laughs> to saw her head off. Yeah. <laughs> while um, no Slick does, and Ivan um, um, starts um, stamping on the hobo with his skates on. I don't know what it is, and it's it's that thing. It, it, it's interesting what you were saying about the director being a bit more overcome by some of the more realistic moments of violence. This was the one bit of the film where I kind of went, I can't watch. There's something about the... <laughs> Sorry, I, I just can't believe I'm going to say this in such a serious way. There's something about the soaring of the head off sequence that... I found to that was the point for me where the film went. Now you know what, I've just got too violent for you, and it's, I don't know again I, if it's a because it's a very realistic depiction of unpleasant violence. It's it's slow. Mm, yeah, actually, that it's, is incredibly protracted. Yeah, it's slow and it's sadistic. It's not just like shooting someone mm. or squashing someone this is something that takes time and yeah. there's there's pleasure in the infliction of the of the act but the hobo catches uh, one of Ivan's skates in the toaster and electrocutes him yeah and that's you know and gets slick to leave and then shoots him in the groin anyway oh that's what it's a weird kind of hasn't he Mum, you're not allowed to listen to this. Hasn't he duct taped the? Hasn't he duct taped Slick's penis to the shotgun? Is the implication? Yeah. <laughs> and um, then pulls the trigger. Um. And Slick collapses into a phone booth, and phones his father. And I like that the cutaway of one of um, the Drakes. Uh, floozies or whoever bringing him the phone on a silver platter <laughs> and he looks at it and says what are you doing just give me the fucking phone <laughs> yeah i could believe that was an improvised line to be honest because that's a really kind of again it's very much up there in that kind of comic strip sort of uh ludicrousness but it's a weirdly realistic moment to a comic strip ludicrousness yeah i wonder if the actor imp- i wonder if that was just a bit of improvisation um, but the the Drake gives uh, Slick a, a sort of a father son talk, and like you said, it's clear that it's clear that Slick is his favourite, and it's actually on their terms, it's actually quite sweet. He's quite supportive and kind to him. Hmm. But as they're talking, the burning school bus from hell appears, 
And, oh yes, it's here, isn't it? And uh, we see Slick going aboard, and then pressing his screaming face up against the window, just as the the child did in the earlier scene, mm. as he's driven away to hell. Um, yeah, and it's it's such a ludicrous, uh, it's such a ludicrous moment. You know, yeah. Um, in the hospital, uh, the hobo is riding on top of the gurney as Abby is brought in, and he's he grabs a bottle of uh, booze out of someone's hand and starts pouring it on the wound to disinfect it. It doesn't one and... of the doctors or somebody goes, "Sir, that's not going to help." <laughs> Which... <laughs> Probably, yeah, yeah. But um, the, the 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 hospital where they filmed it was basically falling apart, and there was a moment oh, where right. part of the ceiling fell down and missed. Howard's head by about two inches and could have if not seriously hurt him then worse Wow! but um, hearing about everything that's happened the drake summons the plague which Who? is not uh, what you might what you thought earlier it's not a zombie plague it's not uh, uh, anything like that it's two bounty hunters who look like they're from a mixture of Hellboy and Hellraiser. They're these yeah. sort of wearing this weird homemade armor and with no skin visible. And when they speak, it's with weird robot voices. And I've, I've written mm. in my notes calling them monster men. Yeah, kind of. It feels almost like it should be, if it wasn't for the the credit to somebody else, it feels like it should almost be a reference to, again, one of the strangest straight-to-video films of the 80s. But um, there's also a weird kind of, apart, obviously, as you say, from the fact that they killed the Easter Bunny and um, Jesus, there's weird kind of, like, almost quasi-religious... I could almost believe they were like crusaders or something. Don't they? I think it's in the establishing shot of the church. There's like upside down crosses in the front or something. Yeah. It's just, it's odd, but it's odd. It's odd in a really, it, it, it it's oddness that really kind of works. Um, because by this point, the film's just tipped over into whatever the hell it's tipped over into. And it's like, yeah, fine. I can cope with this now. Um, well, I've, you know, I've written in good. my note. I've written in my notes, the plague bursts in and the movie loses its mind. Yeah, pretty much. There's all, there's suddenly there's a thunderstorm going on and there's flicker, there's rumbles of thunder. I think there's bits of lightning and stuff. Yeah, yeah, there's, the film. Yeah, there's, there's purple lightning. <laughs> and uh, later we see them fighting against the, the tentacles coming out of a room. And according to the commentary, oh, they have a giant squid as a pet. I'd just, I'd got to that point, and I think it's that vague sense, and the film would obviously do, you know, it's 55 minutes in, you're obviously on board with this, and I just kind of was just watching it at that point. I didn't even question the bit with the squid. I just kind of went, eh, they're fighting a squid. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, good for them. I. It always reminds me of, um, sorry, here's the obligatory Doctor Who bit. Um, a story called The Underwater Menace, which is mostly missing. And what the baddie has a pet squid. And for years I was convinced that it was supposed to be some kind of... No, it's an octopus, isn't it? He's got Professor yeah. Zarov. I thought it was a giant octopus. I can't tell you how disappointed I was when they recovered that 
episode and it turns out it's just a tiny little octopus sitting on a tank on his desk yeah i mean the, uh, one of the many things about the underwater menace about which to be disappointed well this is true but yes you know just that i guess the bbc probably couldn't afford a giant octopus they should have just put the camera closer yeah that's true um Abby recovers in her, her hospital bed and the hobo has brought her this tiny little polystyrene cup of flowers. And oh, I have a tender right, moment. Yeah. And the music that plays over it is from the end credits of The Hitcher. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes it's sense. It's this really, really beautiful, gentle bit of atmospheric synth music. And it's also used in an episode of Stranger Things oh, um, okay. from the last series where... Sheriff Hopper has a, a quiet emotional moment and um, he, he says oh you can you can take these flowers and you can put them in your classroom and she says well you you know I'm not a teacher right and he says yes but a man can dream yes yeah, and, 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 and as he's heading off to um, to deal with what whatever's going on she says that you know you you can't just solve everything with a shotgun, and without turning round, he says, "That's all I know." And it's it, it's there's that kind of core of the movie that it's played so serious and so straight, and it works so brilliantly. How it just gives it everything, and He's it's a really powerful moment. I can see. You know, it's obviously it's nice that the filmmakers wanted to kind of honour David Brunt and put him in the film, but you don't, don't think he know. could have coped with that? I don't know how well the film. I don't know how well the film would have worked with. You need somebody that's an incredibly good actor, and luckily that's what you get with Rutger Hauer. You know. Um, I genuinely don't know. Uh, I haven't haven't watched. I'm assuming that the original Hobo with the shotgun trailer is knocking around on the internet in all the kind of obvious places. I assume so. I yes. Yeah, I didn't actually because I didn't know the backstory of the film. I, I didn't go and see. You know, it's going to be interesting to go and watch it and see how those sequences work. But presumably the 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 trailer itself is much more supposed to be a throwaway gag rather than a uh, rather than a proper film for want of a phrase. Yeah. So yeah. it's not yeah, yeah. So but it'll be interesting to see how those sequences play. But yeah, I can't imagine this film with anyone except Rutger Hauer holding it together. Well, in fairness, Brunt knew that this kind of thing was way beyond his ability. Mm. Which is which is why he started hiding. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. But um, the hobo leaves the the Abby's room, passes in the corridor, a small boy screaming with a face full of cocaine, who's somehow been given a huge overdose, presumably of like a snowball fight. Yes, yeah, or just walked into one of the huge piles of cocaine that's just lying around. Yes. Yeah, just tripped and fell. You know, yeah. accidents happen. Um, and he goes to the maternity ward. Oh, and delivers, yes. delivers a speech to all the 
all the babies in the ward and it's it's his oscar moment and it's it's played so straight it's a long time ago i was one of you you're all brand new and perfect no mistakes no regrets people look at you and think how wonderful your future will be they want you to be special like a doctor or a lawyer i hate to tell you this but if you grow up here you're more likely to wind up selling your bodies on the streets or shooting dope from dirty needles in a bus stop and if you're successful you'll make money selling junk to crackheads and you won't think twice against about killing someone's wife because you won't even know what was wrong in the first place or maybe you'll end up just like me a hobo with a shotgun Yeah, and, and actually, sorry, go on. There's so much emotion, and Rutger Hauer created a whole backstory for the hobo of, of who he really is and why he is hmm. the way he is. And they were thinking of putting it in the film, but then decided just to leave it as like a man with no name character. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that. Yeah, it's the actor's craft. It's there's hmm. there's so much energy and emotion and weight to it that as like, as you say. Uh, any kind of lesser actor would not be able to make this work emotionally. It wouldn't, it, amid all this comic strip craziness, you wouldn't care about the hobo no. at the center of it, but you do. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things I know I've, you know, been, and, and something else that I've just realized I do need to give the filmmakers credit for, it would have been so easy to pepper this film with reference you know have have the hobo say like uh, talk about time to die lost time to die that sort of thing they don't do anything like that and that's really to their credit that once they knew they'd got Rutger Hauer they didn't just fill the film with references to his other films no the music from the hitcher is the only bit I think yeah and that's in, and, it, and that's such such a subtle moment but that I think that's the you know I'll I'll quite happily give them that one um, what's that terrible Simon Pegg film with an alien in it? Paul. Paul. Oh God, that's such a. Have you have you had the misfortune to see it? Uh, no, I've uh, I've had enough uh, pain for one day. It's full of. They cast Sigourney Weaver as the villain just so that somebody can shout at her, "Get away from her, you bitch." It's literally that kind of film. It's awful. <laughs> and everybody involved should be ashamed of themselves. And fair play, Hobo with a Shotgun, better than Paul. Well, yeah, doesn't really surprise me. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I will always stick up for Seth Rogen, who I think is a very underrated actor. Um, but um, the others less so. The plague enters the hospital and uh, the doctor at the, uh, the front desk decides that he's had enough of all these crazy people um, and tries oh, to yes, attack them. Right. He, 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 <laughs> the doctor pulls out a gun and starts shooting because he just has a gun. Yeah, it's that kind of town, yeah. Um, but the, the plague tackle him by slipping a... Firstly, cutting the back of his leg with a samurai sword slipping a noose around his neck and tying the other end to a harpoon gun and firing it into the ceiling. Yes. And for all the over-the-top violence, it actually does the thing that, that I've criticised a lot of the rest of the film for, for not sort of grounding stuff. It sets up properly that these are not just a couple of wackos in fancy costumes, that they are they're serious villains, for want of a better phrase. 
Um, and yeah, and it sets them up as just being the. It, it sets up that thing of these are two impossible baddies. How is the hobo going to stop them armed only with a shotgun? Exactly. Yeah. The hobo finds a corridor full of hospital staff who've been hanged like this and is grabbed by them in Abby's room and shoved into a coffin and dragged behind their motorbikes as they take them back to their lair. Actually, there's a really nice, again, good use of colour because that's it. it's the sequence where suddenly the hospital lights go out and everything's just lit red. Um Look again. Looks really good. Um, it's the kind of <sighs> who was it that said that when they shot their film, they knew it had to have good sound because if it sounded like a film, people would assume it would look was a proper film. Christopher Nolan. Ah, uh, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that that'd be nice, wouldn't it? No, um, it's um, I know uh, what you was mean. It one of that? Was it one of the Halloween films? John Carpenter might have said it, actually, thinking well, about it. He might have been talking well, about it. But they, with, with Halloween, John Carpenter said it about the photography, that he wants to shoot it in widescreen Panavision because it makes it look like a proper big-budget movie. And maybe not the made, made for peanuts in someone's garage film that it actually was. Yeah, and that's... I, 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 this very, very good cinematography on this film. Somebody really knows how to use colours and lights and stuff properly, and it looks it always looks really good. There was a lot of prep work. They worked through creating a colour palette for every scene, talked okay. it through the production designer, talked it through the cinematographer. They only had 24 days to shoot the whole film. Really? But they really worked hard mm. in the pre-production phase to make sure that everything was fully thought out. Everything was fully mm. prepared. On the um, on the extras, you do see them uh, working on like the very last day of filming, and it's gone one in the morning, and they are still filming. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, they, those they, red they, sequences. They, sorry, sorry, they, 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 sorry. They fit. They finish the final shot, and Eisner just calls cut very quiet. And says, "Okay, that's it." And the first assistant says, okay, everyone, that's right, well done. And you just see Eisner just slope off and go to the set of Abby's bedroom and just lay down on the bed in silence. <laughs> but yeah, sorry, all I really want to say was those red sequences in the hospital look brilliant. They really, really look good. They're full of threat. That's the other thing as yeah. well that's interesting about that. Red for danger. Yeah. Ivan comes to the, the plague's hideout where... Um, uh, the hobo is in in a, an upright coffin with just a little slat for the eyes that he can look through. And Rutger Hauer does excellent eye acting. Yeah. Um, and this is the as, squid bit. It's... Yeah. As as Ivan says, oh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be so famous. They're gonna make comic books about my hate crimes. And the, the hobo is just eyeing him, very mm. unimpressed by his bragging. And in the background, we see all the, the pictures of the uh, the plague's previous victims. As I say, Jesus, Abraham Lincoln, Joan of Arc, a Tyrannosaurus. Well, obviously, yeah. yeah. The, the Easter Bunny. It's, yeah, it's deliberately crazy. Um, Abby's left hospital and smashes in a pawn shop and goes through the um, Sam Raimi-style tooling-up sequence, yeah, making a hybrid shotgun axe. Uh, yes. turning the lawnmower into a shield uh, 
making a mask and a uniform for herself. And she bursts out and talks to the crowd and says, oh, they've got the homeless, they've got the biggest home of all. Uh, that's the streets. And we're in, their, we're in their home now. And gets them to turn against the Drake as they bring um, bring the hobo into town to give him the manhole treatment again. Mm. And uh, the uh, the hobo says, "Oh, complains to the plague. Oh, you're crushing my smokes." That's another David Brunt uh, comment oh, really? that, they, that they decided to put in the movie. Um, the hobo uh, has apparently sort of given up and doesn't try and fight back but tells the drake exactly what he thinks you know oh you're a fool mm. and a shitty father and evil will which is another itself. one of those lines that really st- st- stuck out as a, as a really nice a really nice line yeah that not not just that he's an evil person he's a bad father yeah yeah and that evil will burn itself out hmm. um abby threatens ivan um but um the the plague doesn't care so uh, she attacks them and she actually manages to tear one of the the plague grinder tears him to pieces oh that's right yes and uh, manages to cut the rope um that's going to uh tighten the noose around the hobo's neck manages to cut it in the, at the last minute uh the drake mm. tackles her and f- forces her hand into the blades of the lawnmower that um, yeah <sighs> again it feels like a step too far into realistic violence i don't know it's <sighs> but then she stubs him I've... with the stamp of her arm bone i find the the end of this film really <laughs> i find the end of this film really odd Sorry, I keep saying stuff and then realising just how ludicrous it is to say some of this stuff out loud. But you know what I mean. Um, because the, we'll get to it in a bit, but the film just kind of stops. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I find... I don't know if the bit with the lawnmower was a step too far into it. Because it's the first time in a weird way that you really see... And it's not even the first time you see the consequences of violence because with the whole head soaring off sequence, she's in a bad way, she's taken to the hospital. So you do see it there. There's something about that lawnmower. So it doesn't sit right with me, but I'm not really sure what it is. But yeah, it's a set it's as it's basically maybe it's just the set maybe it's just that it's there to set up the joke where she stabs him with the stump of her arm. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's that. I think so. Um, she manages to get the hobo out of the hole in the ground, levering the uh, the manhole up with uh, her arm bone. Yes. But uh, Rip, the surviving member of the plague, says that now Abby has to take Grinder's place. Yeah. That's a really odd line. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was a bit surprised when the film just stopped. Because it feels well, like get, there's almost... We, we get onto that. Oh, okay. Um, the hobo says he has one last thing to do. And Abby pleads with him not to. I mean, there's the, the, the father-daughter relationship 
between mm. them, I think, is is really well characterized. And Rutger Hauer has, I think, great chemistry with. Um, yeah. What's her name? Yeah, the guy with from the Molly, plague Molly Dunsworth. Yeah, the guy from the plague just kind of wanders off, doesn't he? And it it just feels a bit like scene missing for want of a better it feels like there's not an entire act but it feels like there's there's something that that, that, it feels like there's something missing from the end of the film and i i couldn't tell you what it well they their their contract was to deliver the hobo to yeah and they have yeah so yep it's i mean it's like the end of casino royale where the uh the gunman comes in and shoots the sheaf, but leaves James Bond alive because he doesn't have any orders to kill Bond. Yeah, that's true. Yes, but um, Abby says, "Oh no, we can, we can go. We can, we can go to the zoo and see the bears." And the hobo says, "Bears don't belong in zoos." And heads off for his confrontation as the police arrive, and they mm. they all pull out their guns to shoot the hobo. The town people start turning on the cops, and the hobo. Uh, leans down to the uh, to to the drake and says you and me are taking a car ride to hell and you're riding shotgun and blows his head off uh, there's a every everyone starts shooting and uh, the hobo yes. is shot the police chief is shot by the the good cop and you hear abby screaming and the you hear the train whistle in the background from the start of the movie and the film ends and the train whistle, by as Eisner said in the commentary, that's supposed to be the the sound of the hobo's soul. That he's sort of de- he's departing for another place. Fair enough. And but yes, but obviously have, not in the school bus. Yeah. There was an additional scene which is on the DVD, but was left out of the movie, which is Abby properly being initiated as the new member of the plague. Oh really? Interesting. And, and, and getting her armor and everything. But we have the end credits, and did you recognize the song over the end credits? No, not really. Oh, it, it was. It's it's a piece of true classic Canadian culture. It's "Run with Us" by Lisa Lockheed, and it's the song from the end credits of the Raccoons. Oh God. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I remember the raccoons. Didn't much like them, but I remember them. <laughs> but it, but it had that sorry, Canada, that incredibly strident, charismatic end credits song, mm, which felt really yeah. out of tune with the rest of the of the show. But here yeah. it works really well. It it really fits the context of of this sort of eighties power pop song, um, of you know rebels being together and and fighting mm. against the system and it's and it works really well in context i think um, yeah yeah it's just a, I, I think, a bit of a shame that as you say the film otherwise ends somewhat abruptly i just i don't think i was necessarily expecting the abby being initiated into the plague i think what i was expecting was slow fade into abby as a teacher with a probably with a hook for a hand or something ludicrously <laughs> over the top, and doing the thing of going, and that's the story of the hobo with the shotgun who blah blah blah. You know, it needs something. It needs something slightly silly, I think, to tie the film up into a neat little package, and 
that's kind of what and I, I, I get I wasn't expecting the film to just kind of stop um, and I, I just it ends up weirdly the film ends up feeling incomplete mm. it's a very short film it only runs an hour and 22 mm. minutes but it is it it is absolutely packed I think yeah um, I I personally I really enjoyed it um, I think it's very original it's a surprisingly complex in having you know having some subtext and having some dramatic elements as well as all the other craziness um i've got to be honest and I, to say that sitting here and having talked through it i've kind of it's probably overstating it to say i've re-evaluated the film but i've kind of got a little bit more respect for the people behind the film and the the sort of the process that they went through to actually make it, so I've got to say that at least that that sitting through it and talking it over has at least made me reconsider it. Um, I still I don't think I really liked it very much. I think because it it takes its cue from a lot of older films that, like I say, the eighties trash cinema mm. stuff that was just thrown together and yeah. is like cheap and nasty. This is a film that was made with genuine care and love for the material. Real respect mm. for its heritage, for, for Howard himself, all the work that went into the pre-production to make it um, visually interesting and yeah. have you know, unusual design. Lots of people, none of whom have worked in features before, all working incredibly hard to make something quite special in its own way. That it grew out of this unusual, you know, this this, uh, this fact that you know, it was a competition winner that seemed to mm. capture people's imagination. I think it's it it has something special about it because of that. Even if you didn't enjoy it, and it isn't everyone's cup of tea. I mean, even like, like you said, it it wasn't for you. If the violence is too much for some people, as I'm sure it is. If the if the humor is over the line for a lot of people, and I'm sure it is. There's something about this that is. It's like the whole town got together to make a movie and they were able to talk a big Hollywood star to being in it and throwing in his lot with them. And there's something rather charming and heartwarming about that. Thanks to Chris for making time for this recording. Cinema Limbo is on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Acast with almost 120 episodes available. So please download, review and subscribe. We're also on YouTube, on Twitter, at cinema underscore limbo, and Podnose is also on Patreon, so please pop up any in the box to help us with our running costs. However, until next time, remember, sometimes on the streets, a broom just ain't gonna fucking cut it. And that's when you gotta get a shotgun. listening to Cinema Limbo, hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips, with editing and music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcasting Network, so please visit us at www.podnose.com.